chapter 3. I made sure my mic was on today. I realized last week after I watched it, it took 20 minutes for me to turn my mic on last week. So not this week. But hey, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 again today. Just a reminder, next Sunday I will be leaving for a vacation for a few weeks. And next Sunday, Tony Spranger will be bringing the message. And uh, he will be preaching um, on, on uh, a, a text about a mission. And he's also going to be uh, talking about his uh, work with FCA, Fellow Christian fellowship of christian athletes and so i want to encourage you to come next week a lot of people are like ah oh, the pastor's gone we don't have to go to church how many of you know you don't come to church for the pastor you're here for christ and so um so be here for tony and then the week after him and then for the next two weeks uh dusty will be preaching and dusty will be uh closing up shop on the churches in revelation and so today we are continuing our study of the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. Now last week I uh, gave the first three points and today we're going to have two more. And something I've been talking about in this series is as we look at these ancient churches, we got it, we're wanting to extrapolate and pull out and ask, what do we need to know for today? All right. And so last week I said there were three things we needed to know from this church called Philadelphia. And, and I'm just going to give a quick recap. And so if you, this is a quick recap. And so don't think you're getting everything in these things. But here's the first three things that we needed to know from um, Revelation chapter 3 in the Church of Philadelphia. And here's the first thing I said, that no one enters God's heavenly kingdom except through Christ. You know, Paul, or Jesus writes, says there in chapter 3, verse 7, he says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One. The true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus is telling us here, he's like, I have absolute authority. All right. He, he's like, um, number one, I'm the holy one. And what he is saying about himself, he's like, um, I am sinless, absolutely sinless, absolutely unstained, absolutely unblemished, absolutely untarnished. There's nothing about me that is sinful. I am perfectly pure all right and but the thing about the word holy is it, it it means though to be consecrated to be set apart jesus is set apart and the question i asked last week is set apart from what and i said he's set apart from sin all right and the problem with that for you and me is that jesus is set apart from sin that means he's set apart from you and me because we are sinful and um, sin and sinful people cannot be in his presence, all right? That's why the Bible in the book of Isaiah tells us that you and I are separated from God because of our sin, all right? Sin and Jesus do, cannot coexist. Sin and Jesus cannot be together. Sin and Jesus cannot be in the same room together. They cannot be together, so they're separated. That's why Jesus says, he goes, I hold the key of David, and when he says that, he is referring to himself just like King David had absolute authority over his kingdom. And he was able to open up the gates of Jerusalem to whom he wanted. He could allow access or he could deny access. Jesus is saying that. He's like, I have absolute authority over the kingdom of God. I have the absolute authority over everything and I can allow people in and I can deny access to people. And the reality is, is Jesus is he's like, there will be people ready to be in, and there will be people not ready to get in. 
And he goes, and the people who are not ready will not be granted access. So how do you and I know if we're ready? Well, Jesus says, I am the true one. And that word true means absolute truth. There's nothing false in him. There's, not, there's no lie in it. He is 100% truth. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. No exceptions. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how pretty you are. Doesn't matter nothing about you. You're not getting in except through Christ. That's how you know if you're ready or not. Okay, this is why you and I need to understand it is not about what you have done or accomplished or who you are. No one is getting to God and saying, hey, can I give you my resume? It's not happening. The only way you and I get to get to God, the only way you and I get to get into the kingdom of God is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not by what you do, not by what you say, not by how good you are, how kind you are, how religious you are, how many times you go to church. Nothing like that. The only thing that gets you into the kingdom of God, God's heavenly kingdom, is you surrendering yourself to the fact that you are a sinner. And your sin separates you from God. And the only thing that can save you from your sin is a savior. And that is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for your sin. And when you and I come to that place where we acknowledge I am a sinner. And I am separated. And we acknowledge Jesus, you died on that cross for my sin. And you come to the place where you say, Jesus, I surrender my will to yours. I surrender my life to yours. Come into my life and be my savior because I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you. At that moment is when you are born again. When you, when you let go of your pride, let go of yourself and say, Jesus, save me. I have no other way. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in, makes you a brand new person, a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's at that point that you have access into the holy throne of God. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I said we needed to know. The second thing I said last week that you and I needed to know is this. We need to recognize opportunities for ministry and witnessing. There in verse 8, Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The open door represents opportunity. And Jesus is saying, I have put this church in this city for a reason. I put it here. I open the door, okay? And you, he's talking to these, church, these Christians back then. He's like, you're in the city of Philadelphia for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to minister and to witness. That's it. Guess what? You are alive in this time for a reason. God has put you in this time frame, this, this century for a purpose. You are in this church for a purpose. This church is in this town for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to minister and to witness. And guess what? Jesus opens up opportunities all the time for you and I to have opportunity to minister, to witness. Opportunities to serve in ministry. Opportunities to serve someone or opportunities to share my faith with someone who doesn't know Christ. He opens those doors, but you and I, that's why he says, behold, see these things, recognize when they're open, and when they're open, walk through it. Take advantage of the opportunity to minister and to opportunity to witness. And then the third thing I said that we need to know 
is that with Christ, small things can make a big impact. So he says, behold, I have set before you an open door, verse 8, which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. When he says you have little power, he is not talking about their physical strength. He's not talking about them being weak or exhausted or tired. He's talking about the power of their size. He's like, you're a small little church. Hey, anybody look around lately? Um, Would we kind of fit in that category? We're a small little church, aren't we? All right. I love the fact that Jesus is not sitting there going, dude, you've got 500 people in your church. You're a thousand strong, man. You're 10,000. Giddy up. No, he's like, man, you're a small little church. Me personally, I think Jesus loves small little churches because that's all he talks about. All right. Why? Because when you're a small little church, you figure out, man, we don't we we don't have a lot. So guess where we got to depend on him. Okay. This church, they didn't have great power. They didn't have great strength. They didn't have great ability. What they had was great dependability. That's why Jesus says, man, you've been holding on to my word. You haven't denied me. Man, through it all, through the suffering, through the persecution, through everything, you are hanging on. Man, guess what? It's not just about the church. It's about you as an individual. It's not about how much education you have. It's not about how much power you have. It's not about how, much, how popular you are. It's not about anything you have that makes you a great minister and witness for Christ. It is the power of Christ working in you and through you. When you start to depend on him, yes, he, you know what? We are gifted. We have talents. We have abilities. We have personalities. We have experiences. We have money. We have these things, and God uses those things. But my trust is not in that thing. What makes me a powerful witness is not because I'm a, well, I'm a fine orator. It's because Jesus Christ works through me. And that's what you and I need to know is depending on him. Small things can have a great impact with him. So those were the three things I talked about last week. Today, I want to talk about two more things that you and I need to know from verses 10 through 13. And here's the the fourth thing that you and I need to know from this text, and it's this. Christians will not go through the tribulation. As a believer in Christ, you need to know you will not go through the tribulation. So now, starting in verse 10, Jesus is continuing to speak to this church, and he says this, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Let me stop there. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, he's like, listen, you have successfully passed all the tests. You have successfully passed all the trials. You have gone through the persecutions. You have gone through the suffering. You've gone through the trials. You've gone through the thick of it. You've been on the mountaintop. You've been in the valley. You've gone through it all. Everything that you have gone through, man, I am applauding you because you have kept my word. And what he's saying there is you have continued to trust in me. You haven't stopped, you haven't walked away, you haven't quit, you haven't thrown in the towel, you haven't thrown your hands up and said, well, if that's the way Jesus is, thank you, but no thanks. No, 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 no. He's like, you have not quit. Through it all, your faith has proved genuine. You see, this is the key, ladies and gentlemen. 
is your faith proving genuine? Would Jesus look at you and go, because you personally have kept my word about patient endurance, would you be able to go, no, I haven't. See, there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, but man, they throw in the towel when it gets hard. They stop coming to worship. They stop serving. They stop doing what they don't, they don't deny, but they just stop. They just quit. You see, Jesus is commending this church because it was a small church with little power, and yet they, they didn't quit. They kept going. He's like, because of your blazing hope and your blazing faith, you haven't wavered through the suffering. You haven't wavered in the midst of the suffering. You have held on. And he says, because of that, now he gives them a promise. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Notice he says, because you've kept this, I will keep you. Because your faith has been, you've kept your faith in me, I'm going to keep a promise to you. And this is the promise. I will keep you from the coming trial. Now, some of you may have a version that says the hour of testing. Some of you, if you have the King James Version, says the hour of temptation. Now, let me tell you, if you have a King James Version or a version that says temptation, you need to understand he's not talking about temptation of sin, okay? He's talking about that the, the, the word temptation in the Bible can be towards sin or it's a trial. It, 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 it's, it's, it's suffering. It's, it's a hardship, Okay, it's the same thing that first Peter chapter four, verse 12 says, he says, Peter's like, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you to test you. That trial can be also be temptation. All right. But Jesus is talking about this hour, this this testing, this trial that is going to come upon the whole world. He's talking about that. Um, there's going to take, something's going to take place, this trial, this, this testing. And the, the trial, the testing is actually approving its adversity, its trouble, all right? Extreme trouble, extreme adversity upon the earth, all right? This, this event, this hour, now when he says hour, understand he's not talking about 60 minutes, all right? He's talking about a period of time. A period of time in which a trial, a, a, a time of suffering, a time of adversity is going to come on the earth. It's not going to just come upon the city of Philadelphia. It's not just coming upon the Asian province. It's not as, as some people believe that, that John was just writing to the Christians because of the Roman Empire. Wrong. He's not saying it's just the Roman Empire. Look what Jesus says. He says... I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on what? The whole world. How many of you know, even though the Roman Empire was very vast, um, there were parts of the world that they weren't conquering, okay? So it wasn't the Roman world. It was 
the entire world. And I have a feeling Jesus wasn't like, oh, I see his Roman Empire. No, Jesus is like stepping back going, hey, you all don't know something. There's a world out there that you don't see. He's talking about an event that is going to come upon this world, the entire world that is going to bring trouble, tragedy, adversity for everybody who dwells on the earth, not just a select group of people. That's where he's going about here. And so Jesus is talking about this, this event, this thing that's going to come upon the whole world, and the only event in the Bible that is mentioned that will bring tragedy, will bring adversity, will bring trouble upon the whole world is the tribulation. There is going to be a time, a period of time, the Bible describes a seven-year period, that tragedy, suffering, God's wrath, judgment, is going to be poured out on this world. And that is going to take place prior to Jesus' complete second return to this earth, where he comes back and he sets his foot once again on this world, not as a servant, but as king, not as the lamb, but as the lion. And prior to that second coming where Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom, there is going to be a period of time of suffering on the world, the whole world. In fact, Jesus said, tells us in Matthew chapter 21, he says that there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. In Daniel 11, it says that there will be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation till that time. Think about that. Daniel forecasted something thousands of years ago, and he says there's going to come a time of trouble upon the world before there was even a nation. It's never seen. World War I and World War II, we, the people thought this, that was it. It wasn't. The tribulation will, it'll, it'll make the World War I, World War II pale in comparison. You know, I was sitting there thinking about this. I'm like, man, last year, we were freaking out about COVID. The world shut down for a number of, I mean, boom. We were just like, people were freaking out. Okay, that was just one plague. When you read through Revelation because Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19 is John describing 21 different judgments, seven, three, seven um, segments of judgments that are going to come upon this world. Plagues are one of them, but multiple. We freak out for six, seven, eight months of shutdown. Think of seven years where the world is in complete chaos. Death is rampant. We thought, you know, we had 600,000 people die in America. Imagine that number at 10 million. Imagine a billion people worldwide dead. That's the tribulation. It's going to be a time of of suffering. It's going to be a time of adversity and trouble upon the entire world. But here's the promise, and this is why we this is what you and I need to know. 
He says, because you have kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of trial. And that keeping you is not just him talking to the church of Philadelphia. The you is the church. It's, it's every believer that, the, that we as Christians will be kept from the hour of trial, from the hour of suffering, from the hour of testing. We will not go through it because the purpose of the, the, the tribulation is to get, wake people up about Christ. You've, if you know Christ, your heart's already been illuminated. This is the time. This is the hour for us to come to know Christ, okay? The tribulation is God's judgment about sin. Listen, if you know Christ, your sin has already been judged because of Christ, okay? You don't have to be judged again for your sin. So the promise is, is that God will take you as a believer out. It's kind of like... Have, if you've ever, maybe, maybe um, in high school or college, do you ever remember a time when you did really well throughout the semester? You, you aced all your tests. You did so well. And, and you come to the final, and you have a great professor. And they go, hey, if you have a grade above a certain, like, if you're at least 88%, you don't have to take the final. You're like, yes! No final. Why? Because the teacher's... You've already passed everything. You've already excelled in everything. You've already done all the homework. You've already went through all the, you went through the test. You went through the midterm. You've done it all. You were pressed already. You know what? You don't have to take the final. But Joe Bag of Donuts, who decided, I'm going to relax during the semester, and he's running about a D level. Guess what he's doing? Taking the final. You see, with Christ as your Savior, guess what you've already gone through? You've already gone through suffering. You've already gone through the trials. You've already gone through the hardship. But yet here on this side of heaven, that's what you're going through. So guess what you won't have to go through again? You're not going through it. That's why in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me, let me just read this to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But God is not destined, this is verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians 5, for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has a, he, he, he's not sitting there going, oh, I, I, I sent my son to die for your sin. I punished him for your sin. You've accepted him. Now I got to get you through the ringer again. No, we are not subject to wrath again. The wrath of God was placed on Christ. It's people who reject that who are going to have to go through it. And that's what Jesus is describing here. When he says the hour of trial is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth are the ones who get left behind. And what I mean by that is this is how God is going to save you and I from the tribulation. It's called a rapture or the catching away of the church. And what that means is there's going to come a time. See, when Jesus says, I am coming soon, if you look in the text there, he says that the whole world is going to be tried. In verse 11, it says, I am coming soon. 
We just sang that. Even so, Lord, come. You're coming soon. You see, the rapture is a catching away. It is a, it's not the full return of Christ. It's a partial return. And first, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that Jesus will descend and with a shout, with a trumpet blast, he will call up those who have died already in Christ. They will be caught up in the air. Then it says, those of you who are still alive, you will be caught up in the air, in the clouds with Christ and go back to heaven with him. At that moment is when the tribulation is going to take place. You know, Jesus kind of describes this left behind taking in the book of Matthew chapter 36, or I mean Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He, he, Jesus says this. He says, concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Isn't that, isn't that what we do? We're just, life is good. Look at how well things are. I mean, we think life is okay. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and they were unaware that the flood came and swept them away. So there will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know the day of the Lord is coming. You see, there's going to come a time, you notice, in the days of Noah, there was great devastation going to come upon the whole world, okay? But a select group of people were what? Saved, taken away, taken out. That's representative of the church, okay? There's going to come a time when great devastation is coming upon the earth, but the church is going to be removed, all right? Caught up in the air. Anyone who is a true, genuine believer of Christ, they will be raptured, caught up in the air with Christ, taken back to heaven. But those who don't know Christ, you will remain on the earth. And you will have to face the tribulation. Seven years of God's judgment on the world. And we thought a year of COVID was bad. We thought four years of World War II was bad. Listen, seven years of everything that you can think of, catastrophe-wise, is going to happen on this earth. And the purpose is, as Jesus says, is to try those who dwell on the earth. To try, to test. The idea is, and this is, this is amazing, Right now, you and I have an opportunity to come to Christ. You have an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior or to reject him. Your choice. But when the tribulation happens, guess what God still does? He's going to preach the gospel. People will still have an opportunity. The trying and the testing is to test people. Are you still willing to just hang on to your pride and reject Christ? Or would you be willing to surrender pride and receive him and the reason why we know that the gospel is going to be preached because in in revelation chapter 11 
it says that there's be two witnesses coming out of heaven. And for three and a half years, they are going to preach. And they're going to proclaim. And they're going to tell the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And they're not going to mince words. They're not going to paint. In, you know what? They're not going to be user friendly. They're not going to be like, well, we just don't want to make anybody upset. No, they're just going to preach the truth. And people are going to come to know Christ. See, the thing is, when the tribulation happens, people are going to be left behind because people reject Christ right now. The people who make the decision to say, you know what, um, I don't want Jesus Christ, will be left behind. People who reject the truth of Christ and the truth of his word, left behind. People who want to live for self and not live for Christ, left behind. But there's another group of people that will be left behind. And I think this is a hard one. People who have a profession, but no transformation. People who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but don't know him. People who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but their life doesn't show it. You see, these are the people, as Titus chapter 1 says, these are people who claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. These are people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but just go to church, and that's about it. That's it. There's nothing about their life that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe these people, their faith is not genuine. They truly are not born again. They have a false religion. They deny the power of God. They claim to know him, but don't know him. They will be left behind. And I believe it's going to be these people that will become the radical preachers because they're going to realize I missed it. I was playing games with God. I had a falseness with God. I just, had a, I just had a stamp on my forehead that said, I'm a Christian, but nothing else. Man, I missed it, and I'm not playing games now because this is real. And they will become the preachers. And people are going to get saved in the tribulation. And let me show you. Turn with me in the book of Revelation to chapter 6. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures here in Revelation because I need to, I want to show you that I'm make, not making this stuff up. I want to show you scripture that, that, that God is showing us that there are going to be people saved and unsaved during the tribulation. So in chapter 6, chapter 6 is at the, the beginning of the tribulation. The, the seven seals are start, going to start being broken open and things are going to start to go haywire on the earth. And in chapter 6, verse 9, John is seeing all this take place in heaven, and he says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness that had been born. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, the fifth seal happens during the tribulation. And and. They, these people are murdered or killed, martyred for the word of God. So you have people during the tribulation waking up, and I believe it's the so-called Christians who got left behind. They're going to cling to the word of God, and they're going to proclaim the word of God, and they're going to start proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. And guess what? They will be martyred for their faith. They are going to be killed during the tribulation because of being a Christian. 
Turn over to look at chapter 7 now. Chapter 7, verse 9. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and tribe and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. That clothed in white robes is symbolic for the fact that they have been washed of their sin. These people are in heaven, cleansed of their sin, forgiven of their sin, and they're clothed in a white robe. And they have palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs, to our, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now look down at verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, there are people going to be in the great tribulation who are going to come to know Christ. And they are going to be killed. And their blood will be shed, but the blood of Christ has washed them white. You see, they're going to, be, they're going to, they're going to come to know Christ in the tribulation. They're going to be saved, but they will be killed for their faith. Flip over with me to chapter 16. Or I'm sorry, chapter 13. Chapter 13 is, you'll have a heading that says the first beast. The first beast is, this is the, the false prophet that's going to be raised up under the Antichrist. And in verse 5 of chapter 13, it says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Saints. Saints are people who know Christ. And these are people in the tribulation knowing Christ and they are saints. And they will be conquered, meaning killed. Why? Because it's going to be the Christians that are going to be standing up and declaring, yo, 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 El Presidente of the world is the Antichrist. He is not the real God. He is a false God and he is... And they will, be re they will be killed because of that. They will be conquered. But here's what we also need to know. Is that people are going to be saved during the tribulation... But there are also going to be people who reject Christ during the tribulation. In chapter 9, verse 20, chapter 9 is now the seven trumpets are being unleashed on the world. And in chapter 9, verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons or idols of gold and silver and bronze and some of, of stone and wood which cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or sorceries or their sexual immorality or thefts. They did not repent. All of this is going on in the world. All of the devastation, all the death, everything is happening. You got people going, nah, don't want it. Rejecting Christ, not repenting. Turn over with me to chapter 16. Chapter 16 is now the final seven judgments are being poured out on the earth. By this time, it's nearing the end of the seven-year period. And by this time, the majority of the earth's population is probably dead. The majority of the earth is destroyed. It is just rampant. 
Okay, try to picture some of the images that we saw during COVID, like over in India. They, they, they just didn't have places to put the bodies, burning them outside and mass graves and just whatever they could do to get rid of the people who have died in such large quantities. Now multiply that by a hundredfold. That's going on in the world during this time. And at the end of the tribulation, the seven bulls are being poured out. And in chapter 16, verse 10, it says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom and plunged it into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Blows me away. People are gnawing their tongues because of the pain they're in, the sores they have, and they're cursing God and refuse to repent. The question's got to be asked is, how in the world can you, can you live through this for seven years, see all the devastation, all the death, and still not repent? How? Here's how. When the tribulation happens, or I mean when the rapture happens, 2 Thessalonians tells us that right now, the Holy Spirit holds back, restrains the spirit of the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit is restraining a lot. Okay, If God just took his hand off the world and the Holy Spirit was gone, we don't know what evil truly is. Okay, The Holy Spirit is restraining it. He's restraining the Antichrist. But 2 Thessalonians tells us that when the church is, that, that, that time of the rapture, it says that the Holy Spirit will be removed, taken out. You see, when the Holy Spirit's influence on this earth is taken out, you see, right now, guess who, guess who enlightens your heart? Not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Guess who leads your life? The Holy Spirit. Guess who changes your mind about things? The Holy Spirit. Guess who works in people's lives? The Holy Spirit. Right now, the Holy Spirit is over this world. His, his presence is in this world, and he is actively moving. You take him out of the way, the Antichrist is going to reign. And one of the things about the Antichrist is he's going to have the spirit of deception like Satan. Because Satan is going to be upon him. And he will be able to deceive the whole world. People are going to be able to reject Christ even in the middle of all of the suffering because of deception. The enemy is going to be able to deceive people because the Holy Spirit is gone. You see, that's why today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? People are going to get saved during the tribulation. I'll take a gamble. I think I could do it. I truly believe those who get saved, it'll be a complete miracle because the Holy Spirit will not be enlightening them to the truth. It, it, it's, it's going to be like, it's going to be like you've got, you've got a, 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 you know, a piece of granite in front of you with a little pickaxe, ding, 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 and you're trying to break through it. You see, now you've got a piece of granite in front of you, and you've got the Holy Spirit with dynamite blowing things apart. That's gone during the tribulation. You see, that's why if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you need to know him today. You can't wait till tomorrow because the Bible keeps repeating it. Jesus keeps saying it. You don't know the hour that I'm coming. 
You don't know the hour when he's going to descend and he's going to say to the church, come up here. And poof, gone. And in that moment, if you don't know Christ today, you will face that tribulation. And the thing is, it'll be so hard for you to come to know Christ that if you die during that tribulation, then you'll have to suffer the eternal loss of being separated from God forever. Even during that tribulation, the grace of God is still being shown because he's still giving people a chance to repent. But now you have that chance. And if you don't know Jesus or if you're playing games with Jesus, like, yeah, maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need anything else. I don't need to serve. I don't need to witness. I don't need to worship. I just, I'll go to church now and then. I'll just, I'll just put on my religious robe and be good. I'm telling you, you're playing a game. You really don't know him. Today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so you need to know that if you know Christ, you'll be saved from the tribulation. And then lastly, here's the fifth thing that we need to know. As a believer in Christ, you'll be forever secure. So Revelation chapter 3 Look at verse 12. He says, the one who conquers. The, another way to say that is the one who overcomes. Jesus says this to every church. To the one who conquers. To the one who overcomes. Meaning the one who overcomes the world. The one who overcomes the pull of the world. Through all the trials. Through all the, the pain. Through all the, 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 the suffering. Through everything that you go through. Through the good, through the bad, through it all, you overcome for me. You, have hold, you, you, you hold on to me. You, you profess me. You, you remain faithful to me. You keep, you keep my word. You don't stop. You don't quit. Man, you are going. That, that's an overcomer. It, it's the person whose who's talk lines up with their walk. Man, you're not just talking about Christ. You're walking with Christ. You're living for Christ. You're living it out every single day in your life. Perfectly? No. Progressively? Yes. Because I'm telling you, gang, listen, there are people who say they are a believer, but they are doing squat for Jesus, nothing for Jesus. Their life isn't changing for Jesus. They aren't progressively moving forward. They're just going forward with a stamp on their head that says, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I live in America. And that's it. If Jesus isn't changing your life, Jesus probably hasn't saved your life. You see, an overcomer is someone who says, man, I am overcoming everything for Christ. Again, perfectly, no. Progressively, day by day, step by step, I'm walking with Christ. Those are the overcomers. He says, to the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out from it. So for you and I, the, a, a pillar in the temple of God never going out may not make a lot of sense. But for these people at this time, you see, Philadelphia was actually um, founded on a fault line. I mean, you know, that's not a good place to start a city. And they, they endured a lot of earthquakes. And so back then, remember, they, they made their, 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 their temples with pillars. Well, during an earthquake, guess what's happening to the temples with pillars? Shaking, 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 crumble. And when you're in a city... And, and things are starting to crumble, what do you do? Run out of the city into the open area. 
Jesus is saying, when you get to heaven, the pillar isn't you. You're going to be honored like a pillar that was created. You're going to, he, when he says, you'll never have to go out from it, meaning, no, 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 you're not going to be in a kingdom that's going to be shaken. You're not going to be in a kingdom that's going to be wobbly. You're going to be in a place that is so firm, stable, and secure, you will never have to leave this place because he's going to honor you, because you overcame, because you live for him now. He will do everything for you then. Everything we get in heaven. I'm telling you, I read this. I'm like, is Jesus being figuratively? Is he talking literally? I don't, it doesn't matter. I have a feeling that you and I can't grasp what heaven's going to be like. But I do know, I believe he will honor those who overcome. And then he goes on to say, he says, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of God, and the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. That's the new heaven and the new earth. And he says, and I'll write my own new name on them. I have a feeling God is into tattoos. <laughs> if you're, if you're anti-tattoo, please don't send me an email going, oh, how can you? All I know is, again, figuratively, literally, I don't know. But Jesus says, I'm going to write the name of God on you. I'm going to write the name of the new, the, 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 the new city of Jerusalem on you. And I'm going to write my new name on you. Now, why, what, what's that all about? Ownership. Okay, those of you who have small little kids, you know, like they, they go to school for the first time and, and they have a, you know, like a, a, a little, like, like little, little Joe, um, son or daughter of, you know, of, of parent, you know, you can look at the, that's my kid because I, I got their name on there. You see, you're his child. You're the child of God if you know Jesus Christ. And, and when you get to, to heaven, you are eternally secure. Nothing's taking you away from him. Nothing's snatching you out of him. Man, he is, he is writing his name on you eternally secure, eternally stable, eternally honored, eternally forever and ever his, honored by him as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then he finishes it out. Same thing he's been saying to all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is my last Sunday bit for me to say this. If you have an ear, hear it. Don't let what I have said go in one ear and out the other. Let it go into the ear. When he says, if those who have an ear, let them hear. What he's talking about is just don't hear it in your mind and go, okay, that, hear it with your heart. Let it get inside of you. Let it take root. Let it be a seed that is sown on soil and it grows. That's why today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're online watching. If you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm telling you, if you have an ear to hear, listen to me. If you don't know Christ, you will go through the tribulation. If you don't know Christ, today is the day of salvation. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask my elders to come up here for prayer. And you can come up for general prayer if you want. But I want to encourage you, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, come up to one of these guys and just say, I, I don't think I'm saved. And these guys will talk to you, and they will walk you through it. And they will help you to come to that place where you can come to surrender your life and say, Jesus, I need you. I don't know about you all, but... It just seems like the world is spinning faster 
and faster out of control. It, it, it just has this feeling like something is imminent. And I'm telling you what that something imminent is. It is the partial return of Christ. The imminent is the, the rapture of the church. And the imminent thing that is about to happen, and again, we don't know when or how much longer, but I'm telling you, the tribulation is nigh. And if you're not ready, you will endure it. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know that you know that you know you are not subject to the wrath of God anymore. Jesus took his wrath off of you. You will be taken out of this world, kept from it, and you will enter into that place of eternal security. Amen? Hey, let's all stand and get ready to close.